Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the Executive Director of the Henry Nouwen Society, and I want to welcome you to a new episode of Henry Nouwen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Henry Nouwen Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry to audiences right around the world. Because we're new to the world of podcasts, taking time to give us a review or a thumbs up or even share this episode will mean a great deal to us and allow us to reach more people with meaningful and hopefully deeply spiritual content that continually reminds us of Henry Nouwen's writings, his encouragement, and of course his reminder that each and every one of us is God's beloved child. So with that said, let me take a moment to introduce my guest. Today on this podcast, I am joined by a very dear and longtime friend, Brian Stiller. Brian is the Global Ambassador of the World Evangelical Alliance. This global association represents some 600 million evangelical Protestants around the world. Prior to this, Brian was the president of Tyndale University and Seminary. Brian's the author of a dozen books, and together in our shared broadcast history, we created hundreds of hours of television programming with the weekly series Cross Currents. Last week, you heard the first in this series, and today you're going to hear the second. Brian interviewed Henry Nowen in his living room in 1995 at L'Arche Daybreak. Uh, Brian, what was the, the experience like for you? Oh, to be with uh, Henry in that moment and to have the hours of delving into his ideas and his experiences and his writing was as, as rich a moment as I can ever imagine. And now for you and I, Karen, to come these many years later, pick up material that's never been broadcast before. I, I didn't realize that. But this is new stuff, never been heard before. And for us to present this, it's remarkable. You know, as we go into today's uh, uh, today's uh, broadcast, I am so surprised and um, uh, astounded by his insight on on prayer, on God's faithfulness. Uh, he he talked about addiction is controlling the present, uh, how to open up to God and to let Him lead. And as you listen to what he has to say, you might pick up new ideas on prayer that you've never thought of before. This is a really a special uh, podcast, Karen. Well, thank you, Brian, for joining me. It's fun for us to dip back into it. So audiences, with no further ado, we're going to let you listen to this wonderful interview. This is part two in a series of three podcasts that are drawn from Brian Stiller's interviews with Henry Nowen. Henry, you, you define hope this way. Hope expects the coming of something new. Hope looks ahead towards that which is not yet. Hope accepts and risks the unspecified. Uh, the news every night tells me that it is hopeless. And yet uh, the essence of, of your analysis of the gospel is that hope is at the very core of belief. Hope has something to do with a promise, okay? There can be no hope without a promise. And we uh, are invited to live with the promise that says, I will fulfill the deepest needs of your heart. That's what God is saying. Mm -hmm. I've loved you. I've given you a heart, a restless heart, 
but a heart that is restless so that I can give you rest, that I can give you all you need. To, so to live with hope is to live as a promise. And what I want to say is, is that you can only hope if that what you're hoping for has already touched you. That you, what you're hoping for, you already know a little bit. I always desire, in a way, that of which I know something, you know. And so the mystery of hope is that, in a way, you, you are aware that something needs to be fulfilled, but what needs to be fulfilled somewhere already has touched you. You know, somewhere or the love that you want to come to fulfillment is already part of you. That's why I feel that if you live with hope, you, you are able to live very much in the present because you can nurture the footprints of God in your heart, in your life. They, you have already a sense of what's to come. And, and the whole spiritual life is saying God is right with us now so that we can wait for his coming. And the waiting is we're waiting with hope. But because we wait with hope, we know that, that what we are waiting for is already at work in us and we have to nurture that. Now it's interesting that we live in a world where people don't know much about hope. They know about wishes. I, you know, the whole Christmas period is full of wishes. I wish a gift. I wish this. I want that. Uh, it's very concrete. It's I, I want a toy. I want a car. I want a new house. I want a new job. I want, we have all these very specifics. That's wishing. I wish this, that, such, so. And hope is precisely that you say, I I don't know how God is going to fulfill his promises, but I know he will, and therefore I, am, I can live in the presence uh, with the knowledge of God being with me, uh, hoping and trusting that, 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 the, that, that the deepest desires of my being will be fulfilled. Is, and is, that it makes the, keep the future very open. You know, it doesn't, it's not a controlling way of living. It's not, not saying, you know, I want to have a, a hold on my future. I want to be sure this is going to happen or that's going to happen. I want to be sure that, that, that all these things are in place when I get there. I mean, and that's that anxious, controlling, nervous uh, ego of me that I want to be reassured that I have enough to, to survive. But isn't gambling based on hope? No. No. Why not? Gambling is, is, is in a way all addictions uh, are in a way ways to control your future. You 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 want to you want to have the satisfaction. You want to have it now, and you you, you you get it, and you realize it doesn't fulfill your deepest need, and you want more, and, and it fulfills your deepest need, and, and you want more. And so instead, you you stuff yourself up with whatever, with, with food or with alcohol or with sexual fantasies or whatever. You know, addiction is kind of wanting to control your own future. Uh, and, and in a way be so afraid that things might happen that are different from your own plans. So is, is hope giving up the future? I mean, giving, no, 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 no. giving away the future? No, it's, it's a hope is to open yourself up, to let God do his work in you in ways that are beyond your own imagination. That's what Jesus says. When you were young, you put your belt on and went where you wanted to go. But when you grow spiritually old, when you become old, you stretch out your hands, let other people gird you, and lead you where you rather wouldn't go. Now that's hope. 
to allow yourself to be led uh, to, to new places that are not the places that you might have in mind. I mean, living with hope allows me to be with dying people. Living with hope allows me to be with people with AIDS. Living with hope allows me to be with situations that are, are, are in the eyes of the society, hopeless. You know, nothing is going to change here. And why spend your energy with handicapped people who are not getting any better? Why do you get an education and then you, you spend all your time being with people who can't even talk? Uh, you know, all that. And I say, no, no, no. I believe that precisely uh, there, uh, God is fulfilling his promises, but in ways that are far beyond my own imagining. You write, hope is anchored in God's self-disclosure in history. So hope is rooted in something substantial, absolute, real. Yeah, very real. It isn't just hoping that everything will work out all right. Hope has nothing to do with optimism. Many people think hope is optimism, looking at the positive side of life. Jesus doesn't at all speak that things are getting any better. I mean, at the end of time, you, you know, when, you, when Jesus talks about the end of time or the future, or he describes, he describes wars and nation against nation and people in anguish and things, earthquakes. This is what we have right now. And there's no place where Jesus said, one day, you know, it will all be wonderful. And that, no, he talks about this enormous agony. But he says, you, he says, you, you pray unceasingly that will keep your heart focused on me and keep your heart so that you can stand with your head erect in the presence of the Son of Man. That is to say, don't get sort of distracted by, by it all and, and remain focused. Now, that doesn't mean ignore the pain of the world, the opposite, but, but, but don't, don't, uh, don't think that sort of, you know, things will, will clean up or, or get better and, and then you, you know, find there won't be any wars anymore and no illnesses and no sick. I mean, Jesus is saying, you know, the world is a world. Okay. The world is dark and it remains dark. Henry, one of the most difficult things for many of us is prayer. And as, as you trace the movements of spiritual life, you talk about prayer being from loneliness to solitude, from hostility to hospitality from illusion to prayer. How would, are we in this very busy world to understand prayer? Well, there are many ways of talking about prayer. Prayer, for me, means, first of all, listening. Okay? Listening. Listening to the voice who calls me the beloved. Listening to the truth of myself that God announces to me. Now, and therefore solitude is very, very important. I have to be, solitude comes from the word solus, that means alone, to be alone with God. And to, to let God tell me who I am. Let me give you a very simple example, you know. When I pray, you know, I simply go into a quiet place sometimes for half an hour every morning mostly. And I, uh, I take a sentence like, the Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. Okay? The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. Well, I want all sorts of things. I want all that. I want this, I want that, I want such, I want so. I, my whole life is full of wants and restlessness and anxiety. But the truth of myself is that there's 
yet in, in that real spiritual truth is there's nothing I shall want, that God will give me everything I really need. And so when I enter into solitude, I'm listening to the voice of truth that says, there's nothing you shall want. I am your shepherd. I will care for you. I will guide you. And I have to claim that. And it's very, very difficult to claim it because as soon as I am in solitude, I realize that my head is like a banana tree full of monkey jumping here and there. I should do this, I should go here, I should write a letter to my mom, I shouldn't forget that. I have this appointment, at five o'clock he's coming, then I have lunch with him, and later on this, and da, 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 and, and, and all these things are going crazy in my mind, and I better said I stop this solitude and get going, so I at least don't have to be so nervous. But that shows that our head is a garbage can, a garbage can of stuff, and anxieties and preoccupations and, and so the discipline of solitude is to, to, to gradually and very gently actually to say oh yes I have to write this letter oh yes I have to go there oh yes I have to do that but, but the truth is the Lord is my shepherd and there's nothing I shall want I'm still mad at this person and I'm, I want to tell him back and I will say why did he say this to me I, I should have said that oh yes that's true but, but the Lord is my shepherd no, I want to go back to the truth and the interesting thing is that when I pray that way, gradually the truths descend from my mind into my heart. That's prayer. To let the truth of my belovedness not be an idea that I am, am sort of convinced of, because prayer is not ideas. Prayer is to, to let the word become flesh in me. And that in a way, the words, the Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I shall want, they become flesh in me, and I experience the shepherding presence of God in the center of my being. In a way, the, these words enter into the inner sanctuary of my life, and there's like a little room in me, or a little space in which I hold that precious truth. And the amazing thing is that if, if out of, in your solitude, in your being alone of God, you have let the word become flesh, and in a way the word is written on the wall of your inner room, then during the day when you, when you talk to people and be with people, somehow you, can, you can, can be with them from that place. You can in a way interiorly say you're welcome. And you keep looking up at that memo that you've written on the wall yeah. that day. And you in, in a way, you, and it's amazing, when I pray for half hour, I'm totally silent and sometimes very confused in the middle of it. I'm not having... Your, your mind wanders too. Oh! all over the place. What do you think? I mean, I'm just like you. <laughs> I mean, I'm all over the place. I mean, look at me. I, mean, I can hardly control my hands. I mean, I'm a very restless, anxious, nervous person. I mean, I'm not, a, a, you know, I don't have any kind of um, high inner harmonies going on. But I do believe that in the midst of this inner chaos, there is a space where, I, where God is saying to me, Henry, don't, don't, don't forget. I love you. So how do you and, and when, I, when I hold on to that, then uh, when I have that solitude, and in that solitude I can really get in touch with the truth of myself, when I then walk in a very busy world with very busy people, I can in a way invite people into that place. You know? Whether it's a business meeting, or whether it's a discussion on intellectual issues, or whether it's talking with our core members here, or whether it's planning this, somehow, uh, in the midst of it all, I, 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 can, I, can, I can let that, that word uh, be, be fruitful. And I know, I'm more attentive, 
I don't waste too much of my time. I'm not this, you know, I can, I'm more focused. Now, when I stop praying, and I do often, you know, that I just think I don't have time for it or whatever, then gradually I get much more, more um, dissipated. And my life gets much less focused. And I'm not longer discerning, you know, when, when what I'm doing is really uh, fruitful and when it's just more stuff, you know. Okay. You wrote in Clowning in Rome, you said, we've gotten used to young people taking drugs. We now must get used to young people taking their lives. In the midst of, of the tragedy uh, and the suicide and the enormous uh, inner calamity of people's lives today, uh, how do we speak the message of Christ into that tumultuous world? Maybe we shouldn't speak that terribly much. I mean, I, 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 I have increasingly come to believe that words are quite often words <laughs> and not more than that, even when they are words that are quite spiritual. And I find it very, very important that we, we, we create in this world places of healing, places of welcome, places of gentleness, places where people can experience what the Word speaks about. And the Word is all about the fact that I am the beloved child of God. And the greatest human temptation is self-rejection. I'm no good, nobody cares, I have no contribution to make. Uh, people think I'm great, but in my heart I know I'm, I'm, I'm a miserable person. I, I, I'm, you know. And people constantly lose um, touch with their, with their, their original blessing. And, they become, and, and a lot of people think about themselves very quickly as being abandoned, being rejected, being uh, pushed away. And that's where the suicide comes from. It's, it's, it's an experience of of total uselessness. I have nothing to offer. I'm nobody. I not nobody cares whether I'm alive or not. And and also it sometimes comes out of a deep anger, you know, and, and sort of one way of getting back at the world. And I, I there is what to say to these people. I don't even know if any word will be there. But I do believe that every time uh, people experience genuine care. Um, uh, that uh, that they they can start listening to the word gradually, you know, and so what I my hope is that in this midst of this world there will be small communities and families and circles where people are able to 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 be vulnerable together. See, in an extremely competitive world, where you constantly pushed to show that you're better than others, that you're different. Uh, we have to really find places of compassion where it's simply good to be human with another human being, where being human binds us. You and I are brothers, and therefore we don't have to compete. And therefore you can cry, and you can laugh, and you can say you, can, you don't have it together. And somewhere in the midst of that, you discover the, your belovedness. But Henry, in uh, the byword today is competitiveness. 
And so if you're managing a corporation or you're part of a sales force or you're in a manufacturing community or, and you're competing on the world market, how do you come out of an economically driven life of competitiveness into a li lifestyle of compassion when the two seem so antithetical? By taking little steps in that direction, just little ones. I don't tell people to leave their, com their, their uh, business or their companies. What I hope that people do is to make a little step towards the places where God prefers to dwell, and that is in the heart of poor, weak, marginal people. And, um, and I tell you, I know a lot of business people who do that, who spend an hour or two a week to go to a dying friend, who, who are extremely gentle with people. And for them, they know very soon that although the competition is there, and the, but it's not the, the foundation of their life. The foundation of their life is compassion. And so the competition becomes the games of the world. They have to learn how to play well, but they know that their spiritual identity is not rooted there, that their spiritual identity is, is, and I, is, is, is connected with this one person or these two persons or these three persons or, or somehow how um, uh, that they, that, that, and there they discover themselves. And the point is not that they, that they should help somebody. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is they should somewhere discover their own deepest vulnerable humanity in communion with other people's vulnerability. And there discover what really community is, what real fellowship is, what real brotherhood is. And I have no fantasy that the whole world will become one beautiful brother and sisterhood. I mean, look what's happening in Bosnia, what's happening in, 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 in you know, in, uh, in Africa. And, and what's happening, people are murdering each other, killing each other, and the world is full of violence and war. The, the question is, um, are we... Are we, we simply saying we're going to be passive victims of that? Or can we make inner choices to live something different in the world? You know, Jesus didn't change the world in a way. What Jesus did is he shared vulnerability and offered hope in the midst of a very, very dark world. He was the light that came into the darkness. But the darkness didn't understand it, but, but it's there. So in, in the midst of that suffering, uh, one of your lines is you say, joy is based on the knowledge that while the world is shrouded in darkness, Christ has overcome the world. Yes, yes. Well, one thing about joy, and I really think I want you to hear that, and uh, this is that joy in our world in the, is never separated from sorrow. Never. Never. And the world in which we live on is separated. Does sorrow give rise to joy, no, no. or are they in separate The world in which we live is saying you cannot be sorrowful and joyful at the same right. time. If you're glad, you're, you cannot be sad. If you're sad, you cannot be glad. If you're happy, you cannot be unhappy at the same time. You're one or the other. That's why they have this funny word like happy hour. <laughs> you know, one hour of the day, you're at least happy. Um, and the, the spiritual vision is precisely the opposite. It's the opposite, and every great spiritual leader will say that. St. Francis said it, Mother Teresa talks about it, Jean Vanier talks about it. That is, that when you go to the place of sorrow, right there you will find joy. Right in the midst of human pain, you will suddenly discover that, uh, that something is emerging uh, that, that is new life. Mm -hmm. And it's like a, a labor pain. You know, and the, 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 the woman in labor pain 
you have some enormous sorrow, but right in the midst of that sorrow, something is being born that gives new life. And, and I, I think that, that quite often we think that if you go to the places of sorrow, like to a dying person, to a handicapped person, or a person in prison, or a person with AIDS, you're going to be overwhelmed with misery and pain, and you want to stay away from it. But the fact is that anybody who can do it, uh, can, can move to these places, will discover that, that the person they go to offer them something that is of enormous joy. It, and joy is something else than just happiness. It's the experience of, of being the beloved. It's, it's the, the sense of, of, of I am sent into this world with, 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 with a task. I, 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 am, I am here uh, to, to, to announce good news in, in a very profound way by just living who I am and living it faithfully and directly. And I don't have to deny uh, the darkness. I can just be in it, but, but, but clinging to the truth of who I am. And it's a real, real, and a real joy is always, is always right there where the sorrow is most, is most, uh, that's my life. But you, but you talk about embracing pain. I, isn't that a bit naive? Well, no, it's not naive at all. It's, 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 it's taking up the cross. It's embracing the truth of who you are. Embracing, I even want to say to befriend your sorrow, to befriend your pain, to befriend your truth. If, if I am a person who, who, who experiences a lot of anguish and pain, the question is not how to live as if that's not there and sort of look in another direction. It's much more saying, can I, can I say, that's me, that's me, I am very anguished here. I, I, am, I dare to call my pain by its right name, and I dare to go to you and say, brother, I'm in pain, this is really hurting me, can you be with me? I don't know what to do about it, but can you be with me in this struggle? So if my spouse walks out on me, I embrace that? Huh? When your spouse walks out on you and there is no way to restore the relationship, can you live with that enormous pain in such a way that doesn't make you bitter, angry, jealous, resentful, and the rest of your life destroyed? So, so your attempt is not to absolve the pain? My attempt is to recognize that in my life something happened that is extremely painful. How can I choose to embrace it, to live it as my pain, and trust that that pain is labor pain? that somewhere will bring new life to me. That's, and how, how can I choose to, to live it? That's what Jesus says. He doesn't say make a cross for another person. He doesn't say make a cross for yourself. He says take up your cross, your unique suffering. And you don't have to look for suffering. You don't have to make suffering. You don't have to make it hard on yourself. The question is can you look at your pain and it can be, uh, and, and really, embrace it as your way in which God leads you to a new place. But Henry, we live in this, in this antiseptic world with, uh, where we do everything to avoid pain, suffering. We have the white coats, we have yeah. the closed doors, we have the soft music, and uh, w whether it's in, in the, the death of a person or the physical pain of a person, we do everything to ameliorate pain, don't we? Yeah, we, we do not believe that pain is good for anything. And, and by pain, I don't, I'm not against uh, at all, uh, you know, uh, medication against, I'm not, I'm not at all. I'm, I'm thinking there's enough pain, we don't have to, if we, if we have a way 
to take pain away, we shouldn't not do it. That's not what I'm saying. But there's a lot of pain we cannot change. It's like I'm speaking about the pain of a broken life or this pain of a relationship that didn't work out or this pain, the pain of feeling depressed or the pain of feeling Losing your job at or, 55 years of age. Yeah, and, but, but it might be even deeper. I mean, the pain of me being Henry, Henry and, can, and, and still have the same character problem that I had when I was 18. I, and and I, can I embrace it? And can I say, yes, I, that's him. And I'm not going to be without this impatience or this anguish or this restlessness. But I'm willing to say this is me. But I'm also trusting that if I am faithful to me and my own unique life story, and out of that life can come. I cannot be like that person or like that person, like that person. I'm just me. And I have my own journey with my own unique pain and my own experience of rejection, my own needs. Can I just claim them and trust that precisely when I'm faithful to my own unique story, I will meet God right there, right in my pain. That's what Jesus says to the people of Emmaus. He says, didn't you know, you foolish people, didn't you know that the Son of Man had to suffer and so enter to the glory? Uh, that's, that's, he's just saying that about himself. That's the story. So they needed new eyes to see. Yeah, and, and he's saying that's true for you too. You have to say to, to yourself, can I realize that that in the midst of that, that my anguish and my suffering and my dying, finally, is the way to something new. My, my greatest vulnerability is the fact I'm going to die, and that's not bad news. Jesus says it's good for you that I die so I can send my spirit. And we have to be able to say that too somewhere it's to our friends. It's good for you that I finally go, and because when I go, I can send the spirit of God to those who I've loved, and, and, and I can continue to, to be fruitful in the life of other people. But we often think of eternity as something that goes on after we die, and yet your whole notion of, uh, of, of eternity is living life now. You give emphasis to the nowness of life. Yeah, because but I'm only being free to totally focus on the here and now because I'm safe in the, um, from all eternity to all eternity. I mean, that allows me to, to be here. You know what I mean? It's not a, it's not a hedonistic now, like uh, let's live up the, the moment. It's precisely the opposite. It's like saying I can pay attention to your need. I can be with you because I know that together, you know, we've been, we've been sent into this world to fulfill our spiritual mission to announce God's love. And we will be moving back to the place of God's eternal embrace. And, and our life is just, just a mission to live something. But if we live the mission, we better be here. <laughs> you know, you better be here. You better pay attention. I'm not, if I talk to a sick person, to a handicapped person, I'm not trying to get him anywhere else. I just want to be with this person here and now because this person, in a way, is Christ for me now. And now, now matters. Now matters, here and now matters, precisely because God is a God of the present. And God is a God of the present because he is the God of eternity. Brian, there were some amazing things that Henry Nouwen shared. Let me hear from you. What moved you the most? Well, it reminded me of, it reminded me again that he is not the placid, laid-back person that you might think from reading his material. He's hyperactive, and I loved his line. He said, my mind is like a banana tree with monkeys jumping all around. When I asked him about prayer, and he was talking about solitude and how his mind goes in so many directions when he's trying to pray, and I, I thought I was the only person that struggled with that. 
but he his his ideas on how you come how you deal with those monkeys in the banana tree and how you turn it to a uh, a silence and an opportunity to hear the beloved that the voice that says you are my beloved and to continue to hear that it was a wonderful emphasis and it, and also he offered a strategy in how you do prayer and not allow all those distractions to take over. So that, for me, was a special part of this last podcast. I know that it was a place that planted a seed in me that I have kept for the last 25 years. It was that idea of the inner sanctuary of my life, that room uh, deep within me where uh, God writes on the walls messages to me. And that's been part of my own uh, journey. It's been a very meaningful part of my prayer life. And I realize it came from that interview. Now, he's written about it many times. It's in other books, but it meant so much to me. Karen, another thing that uh, came to mind as I listened to Henry today is his talk about pain and suffering and joy. He said something that amazed me. He says, joy is never separated from sorrow. They come together. And he said, embrace your pain. Don't avoid it. Don't pretend it's not there. Befriend your sorrow. Admit it. Describe it. Look at it. Take up your cross. Look at your pain and allow the presence and strength of, the, of Christ to help you in the carrying of that pain. Uh, he encouraged us to allow the Spirit to give us boldness to look at the darkness and embrace the darkness and the pain, because in the midst of that pain, there is joy. In the midst of that darkness, there is light. Uh, a remarkable uh, insight into human life. And I'm so grateful for, for Henry and how he says it uh, to us all. Weren't we fortunate to have him speak into our lives, Brian? I mean, I think about it, and... <laughs> I never expected 25 years later I would be the executive director of the Henry Nowen Society. That to me was like, that wasn't in my future. But he spoke so deeply into my life at that time that uh, going forward, I was on a different path. I loved his confession, the pain of being Henry. He had to pick up the pain of being himself. I think one of the revelations for me from Henry Nowen's writing that has touched me so deeply is his understanding of our own self-hatred and self-doubt and then being able to embrace what God calls beloved, that he says God is calling you his beloved. That's, that's what Henry gave us all. I'm so grateful that we have been able to share this with audiences. And I invite them all, come back for the next one. These are really wonderful, uncut, uh, never-before-heard interviews with Brian Stiller and Henry Nowen. And they are just packed with good stuff. We're so glad you've joined us today. We hope that uh, if you've enjoyed it, first of all, we hope you'll be back next week. But secondly, don't hesitate to, to maybe uh, give us a stellar review or a thumbs up or even share it with your friends and family. As well, you're going to find links in the show notes for our website. You'll even find a link to the documentary, Journey of the Heart, The Life of Henry Nowen. And in this film, you'll see Brian Stiller interviewing Henry Nowen. Thank you again for listening. Until next time.